This is The Guardian. Today, Hamza Youssef is the new First Minister. What's his plan for Scotland? Tired of ads barging into your favourite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. As an overall majority has been reached, the candidate selected as the parliament's nominee for the position of first minister is Hamza Youssef. for me uh, and my family. I hope it's also a proud day for Scotland as it speaks to our values as a country as I stand here as the first ever Muslim to lead a Western democratic nation. It's been almost 20 years since the Scottish National Party had to elect a new leader as the position of First Minister passed from Alex Salmond to his deputy, Nicola Sturgeon. But now, after eight years of her being in charge and then suddenly resigning this February, it wasn't clear who could lead the party and the country. The contest has taken our three candidates the length and breadth of Scotland. They've beamed into our living rooms via TV debates and they've worked tirelessly to engage with members all over. Those three candidates had fought a bitter battle with one another. And on Monday, as they walked into Murrayfield Stadium in front of the press and thousands of SNP members, they knew the result was going to be tight. Kate Forbes, 23,890. Hamza Youssef, 26,032. I therefore declare Hamza Youssef duly elected as the Scottish National Party leader. Hamza Youssef has been characterised as the continuity candidate a centre-left politician who is Sturgeon's natural successor. But his election marks a change for Scotland. Age 37, he's the youngest ever First Minister and the first person of colour to lead the party. He's got the challenge of bringing together that party, which, over these weeks of campaigning, has shown itself to be deeply divided. It really has been an incredibly dramatic few weeks. And I think all of this has also really sort of revealed, looking back to Hamza Youssef's predecessor, Nicola Sturgeon, just the incredible sort of grip that she had on the party, Iden grip. It's it's like the cork popping out of a bottle, this campaign, and you just can't get it back in again. And as Youssef starts the job, he knows he's got a lot to fix. My immediate priority will be to continue to protect every Scot as far as we possibly can from the harm inflicted by the cost of living crisis, to recover and reform our NHS and other vital public services, to improve the life chances of people right across this country. From The Guardian, I'm Hannah Moore. Today in Focus, how Humza Youssef hopes to unite his party and Scotland. (laughs) 
Libby Brooks, you're Scotland correspondent at The Guardian, and we've been speaking to you throughout the leadership race, which has been tumultuous. Tell us about some of the drama that's got us to Hamza Youssef's victory. Well, listen, as, as we've spoken about previously, this contest really has felt like a bit of an existential battle for the soul of the SNP. We've seen very deep policy divisions emerge between the different candidates. We've seen unprecedented personal attacks. You know, we're used to the SNP being a party of uh, sort of extreme discipline. And instead, you've had these leadership candidates of tearing strips off one another, particularly Kate Forbes, for example, laying into Hamza Yusuf. Yusuf's record in the other portfolios that that he's held previously. Well, Hamza, you've had a number of jobs in government. When you were transport minister, the trains were never on time. When you were justice minister, the police were strained to breaking point. And now as health minister, we've got record high waiting times. What makes you think you can do a better job as first minister? And the final result was so close, really, wasn't it? In the second round, Hamza Youssef got 52% and Kate Forbes got 48%. Had you expected it to be such a tight final result? It, it was bracingly tight, wasn't it? And I'm sure that will be something that is is on Hamza Youssef's mind now. Did, did I expect it? I don't know what I expected because it was this great unknown, particularly when we discovered halfway through this leadership campaign that actually the membership numbers for the SNP were 30,000 fewer than we had been led to believe. We've also had the resignation of the SNP's chief executive and Nicola Sturgeon's husband, uh, Peter Murrell, following damaging revelations that the media had been fed false information about membership figures. But having said that, I, I didn't think it would be it would be this close as as you say forty fifty two is a yeah is a very uncomfortable division. Yusuf has been characterised as the continuity candidate, Sturgeon's natural successor, and then Kate Forbes uh, is on the right of the party, and we really saw that come out in the televised debates during this campaign. What does that tell us about where the SNP is now? You know, the, the tightness of this result. I think it is going to be really sort of interesting over the next few weeks to try and unpick what these results genuinely tell us about the SNP and what, what the party membership wants. Now, on the face of it, it is pretty stark. Um, you've got two-fifths of SNP members on first preferences saying that they were convinced by a candidate who was highly critical of Nicola Sturgeon's record, who was um, challenging her model on progressive taxation, the needs for a speedy transition away from oil and gas exploration, and who had stated her personal opposition to equal marriage and to abortion marriage being between a man and a woman. That is what I practice. But I will not roll back on any rights that already exist in Scotland. If you were about at the time where you were able to legislate on this, that's been and gone now, but you would have voted against that then because of your beliefs. It was interesting immediately after Monday's announcement, there, there was evident relief 
particularly amongst younger, more progressive activists that, that I'd been speaking to who were really dreading uh, a Kate Forbes win um, and indeed had been threatening to rip up their SNP membership cards if, if she did. And you had campaign groups like Back Off Scotland, which has been pressing for protest-free buffer zones outside abortion clinics, tweeting their approval. But at the same time, there were, there were also a lot of people expressing real consternation that such a sizable chunk of their fellow members had been willing to sort of set aside Forbes' position on social issues in order to vote for her reset platform. You know, in the in the context of a leadership contest, it's easy to forget that there's a lot more than that unites us than divides us, not least wanting to eradicate poverty, wanting to see a growing prosperous economy, wanting to ensure that people aren't fuel poor. I think the path to that is good governance and ultimately putting the powers around Scotland's future into the hands of those in Scotland. And I was also struck by the fact that you you had Ash Regan getting 11% on first preferences, notably both Forbes and Yusuf. One of the, the only things that they, they agreed on during the campaign was the need to really step back from independent strategy and concentrate much more on policy. Ash Regan was the one who was saying, no, we can still have a referendum now. And you had, you know, basically one in 10 of SNP members going for that in their first preferences. So Yusuf's going to have some work to do to bring the SNP together. He began by offering Kate Forbes a post in his cabinet, which she declined, but she did say that she'd support him from the back benches. What's he going to need to do to unite the party? All of these concerns about the way that the party is managed really sort of erupted during the election campaign. Concerns about transparency, about the way that SNP HQ sort of imposes its decision making on branches, poor handling of harassment complaints, um, not including the wider membership in, in consultations and decision making. And there is a real clamour for internal reform. And I know that can sort of sometimes sort of sound a bit uh, dull and technocratic, but it's actually really key to reinvigorating the party now. I think some interesting divisions have come to light. So Hamza Youssef garnered the majority of parliamentary endorsements, and yet he didn't get this wholehearted endorsement from the wider membership. One activist that I was speaking to yesterday suggested that actually those engaged activists are the sorts of people who have come into contact with Hamza Youssef over the years, have met him and and have developed a respect for him. But it's these more disconnected members who are perhaps just looking at the way that he is portrayed in the media. Libby, for people who haven't heard much about Hamza Youssef before, can you give us a bit of a primer? Just how did he make his journey into politics? As well as being the first Muslim first minister and the first ethnic minority leader of the SNP, Hamza Youssef is also going to be the 
youngest ever First Minister at the age of 37. And he, he actually spoke very movingly on Monday about his grandfather, who was a Punjabi immigrant who worked at the Singer sewing machine factory in Clyde Bank in the 1960s. And after that, his dad became a successful accountant and SNP activist in the south of Glasgow. As Muhammad Yusuf worked in the Singer sewing machine factory in Clyde Bank, as Rahmat Ali Bhutta stamped tickets on the Glasgow Corporation buses, they could not have imagined, as I say, in their wildest dreams, that two generations later, that their grandson would one day be on the cusp of being Scotland's first minister. We should all take pride in the fact that today we have sent a clear message that your colour of skin or indeed your faith is not a barrier to leading the country that we all call home. He has talked himself about the fact that he had his eyes open to the wider world in the aftermath of 9-11 and the Twin Towers attack. Um, he describes being in a bubble at school in interviews and then suddenly sort of his white friends, uh, boys that he sat next to and talked to about football, um, asking him why it was that Muslims hated America. And then obviously a, a few after after that came the invasion of Iraq and that sort of political radicalization, I guess, that that happened to so many young people around that time. He started work in in politics sort of fairly young. That is actually one of the criticisms that's that's made of him that he's uh, he's one of those people who's a, a career politician he started working as a parliamentary aide to the SNP's first Asian MSP who was called Bashir Ahmad then he started working for Alex Salmond um, and he became an MSP his, himself for the first time in 2011. We're so close we're in touching distance closer than I think we've ever been before and to be part of that historic as it's been dubbed the independence generation you know, I, sometimes I genuinely can't sleep at night thinking about pushing forward and the opportunities ahead. And in 2016, then he won a constituency seat in Glasgow Pollock. Really an incredibly fast mm. rise. Very impressive. So he's the first first minister from an ethnic minority and he seems really proud of his roots. You know, during his acceptance speech, his mum, who moved to Glasgow in the 60s, was wiping away tears and she looked so proud. And, you know, he, he talked quite a few times during the campaign about his Muslim faith. To what extent does that sort of seem to inform his his beliefs and how he conducts himself? I mean, yeah, he was he was actually probed quite, quite deeply about his his Muslim faith and whether there were likely to be any conflicts between that and the way that he governed um, after there was all this controversy uh, around um, Kate Forbes when when she sort of first set out her faith-informed views on equal marriage and abortion and, and so forth. And he was he was very clear that that his faith had never influenced the choices that, that he had made politically. Although he was accused of missing the final vote on same-sex marriage in 2014 because he was facing pressure from Muslim leaders, but that is a charge that, that he has consistently denied. I mean, one of the other things that, that he spoke about during that time was, first of all, the way that his 
ethnicity informs his view of equalities. And he speaks very sort of powerfully and passionately about that. I think because he, you know, he has faced really relentless racist and Islamophobic abuse sort of ever since he's entered public life. And he is very aware of the fragility of rights and the need to lift all groups up together and the importance of not seeing sort of one minority being in conflict with another, for example. What sense do you get of of how voters feel? I mean, does that kind of give people a hope that Scotland is becoming a more inclusive society or that under his leadership it can become a more inclusive society? Well, certainly after his election, you had, I heard the young girl at Glasgow University who is um, now head of their Muslim Students Association, which Yusuf was was head of when he was a student, talking about just the the importance of, of seeing a Muslim man up there as uh, first minister i think scotland has has some way to go in terms of where it stands on on race i think nicola sturgeon worked very hard as as far as uh, for example our our policies on on refugees are concerned to present and encourage you know scotland to be a a welcoming country but yeah i also know that on the streets of of our cities it is not always the uh most comfortable or safest place to be somebody with black or brown skin and um yeah i think we have to acknowledge that too what's his working relationship with nicola sturgeon been like I think it's fair to say that that, that has been a, a close working relationship. He was one of the people who was asked to co-sign her nomination papers for First Minister when she stood in 2014. And she is believed to have quite deliberately given Yusuf some very tough cabinet positions in order to harden him up for, for leadership. And she has often stepped in to defend his record, particularly on the NHS latterly. Yes, he's had several high profile posts on the way to um to becoming first minister, hasn't he? And um several controversies within those. Yeah, absolutely. When he was Justice Minister, his flagship hate crime bill became um, embroiled in controversy, whether that would have a major impact of on freedom of speech and whether it was the right approach to have a separate offence uh, making misogyny a hate crime. Scottish Justice Secretary Humza Yusuf has said he intends to clamp down on so-called hate speech inside the home. Campaigners have warned Scotland's hate crime bill omits a crucial defence which protects conversations in the home from police intervention. And then within three weeks of becoming health secretary in May 2021, he had to apologise for causing undue alarm after he wrongly claimed that 10 children had been hospitalised because of COVID. More generally, in, in the health brief, it, it has been um, 
inevitably, I think, you know, a, a very challenging one. We are now looking at Scotland that has the so it has record cancer and surgery waiting lists, record A and E delays, and the biggest budget line in in Holyrood. COVID, and I think we all know and understand this, represented a significant shock to the system. And its ongoing impact, together with associated backlogs, coupled with extraordinary levels of other illnesses this winter, is creating pressure that is truly unprecedented. And so I think fixing the NHS is, is going to be one of the really sort of key challenges to his early months as as leader. I mean, we, we saw during the campaign how much pressure Kate Forbes put on on Yusuf in, in terms of his record as health secretary. And it, it has to be said that he I know although he has pledged to, you know, reform uh the service, he hasn't really sort of gone sort of deep into what his plans are going to be yet. And and so that is going to be really, really crucial for his first few weeks. What are the other big issues that he's got to try and address immediately? In in terms of what else he, he needs to do immediately, I think that there are two elements to this. Obviously, there are the centrepiece policies that he set out during his campaign. That includes the expansion of childcare to one-year-olds, as we've said, recovery and reform of the NHS, tackling the cost of living. He has talked about wanting to bring forward a number of different wealth taxes um, on land, on renewable energy projects, as well as higher income tax for middle and high earners. But there's also just the the tone of of his premiership. Nicola Sturgeon was, was very familiar to voters when she stepped up in 2014. She was very popular as well, having spearheaded the Scottish independence referendum campaign. And Yusuf is, if he is known, he is known for criticisms that are being made of his stewardship of the NHS. And so he needs to find a way to imprint himself as leader on the Scottish public. There is, I think, a real problem for Yusuf too in the way that he has set himself up as the continuity candidate. Now, that may have ended up getting him over the line in terms of votes from members, but there is also a lot of criticisms that have been made of of the Scottish government, feeling that there is a bit of complacency, uh, failure attached to, to that administration. Coming up, how will Yusuf negotiate with Westminster politicians? Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Today in Focus is supported by BetterHelp. 
Here's a question. If you had an extra hour in your day, what would you do with it? Watch TV? Read a book? Meet up with a friend? Maybe a little nap? A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. But for what? Perhaps to best answer that, you need to work out what's truly important to you, then make that a priority. Therapy can help you work out what's most important to you. It isn't just for those who've unfortunately experienced trauma in their lives. Therapy can be helpful for learning positive coping skills and for setting boundaries. It can empower you to be the best version of yourself. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash todayinfocus today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash todayinfocus. Libby, there's a big issue that Yusuf's got to decide on quickly by mid-April, which is whether to contest the UK government's block on Holyrood's gender recognition reform bill. That would give people the right in Scotland to self-identify. What is he likely to do about that? He, he has said that, uh, that there is a principle at stake here, that this is about Scottish democracy and that... He, he does want to, to challenge the, the block in court if the legal advice that he's getting from Scottish government lawyers supports that. Not contesting the veto does, you know, it risks obviously setting a precedent for future Westminster interference. But at the same time, it's going to prolong what has been you know, already a really long running and divisive dispute for the Scottish government, for the SNP. Obviously, a, a priority for him is to continue to campaign for Scotland to become an independent. How does he plan to achieve that? That's a very good question. When he sort of did the performative thing of immediately asking Westminster for the powers to hold a second independence referendum, Westminster did what they always do, which was say, no chance, pal, it's, it's what any you know, new SNP leader feels, feels beholden to do. But it's just, it is a contrast to what he was saying during the campaign, which was that actually we need to step away from the focus on process and really sort of build up that substantial majority support across the country for independence. Libby, the SNP's down in the polls at the moment. Do you think that Scottish Labour's going to use that as an opportunity? I mean, I know that Keir Starmer went up to Scotland several times during the leadership campaign. I think they they absolutely will. Um, the Scottish Conservative leader, Douglas Ross, after he heard one of the SNP candidate debates, said that he had been provided with, you know, all of the all of the wording that he needed to put on his next Tory election leaflet, the divisions that have emerged during this campaign 
are incredibly useful for the opposition and they will they will make use of them as as much as they possibly can. Libby, let's not forget that the SNP is in a power sharing arrangement with the Scottish Greens. Um, that arrangement was established by Nicola Sturgeon in 2021. Um, the Greens made it clear that they wouldn't be happy with Kate Forbes becoming leader, given her views on gender, uh, on the oil fields and higher taxes. How happy do they seem to be with Yusuf having won? I looked on Twitter and one of the most prominent Green MSPs had tweeted a gif um, saying thank you Jesus on repeat uh, I think that will in- interesting to invoke <laughs> well, Jesus in this particular well let's let's just say it was it was Ross Greer who is actually himself a committed Christian uh, so it it worked on many levels but um, right, but okay. I think that that gives you uh, a sense of, of where the, the Scottish Greens are at now. Nicola Sturgeon was First Minister of Scotland for eight years, um, a leader with comparatively stunning approval ratings. And people in Scotland are now going to need to get used to somebody new. What sense do you get overall of how people in Scotland are feeling about this result? So he has this this, this series of, of challenges that, that I've referred to both as party leader and as the new First Minister of Scotland, and at the same time has has this challenge of of really sort of needing to embed himself in the public's minds, you know, in the minds of voters that goes beyond his SNP base, many of whom are going to be just more familiar with criticisms of his previous record as as health minister and, and perhaps this unfortunate capacity gaffes. But having said that, it is also going to be fascinating over the next few days to see who he brings around him. Uh, it's a real opportunity for him to, to refresh that team around him as well, perhaps, you know, bringing people of, of a new generation up who will be able to help him to push forward with all of these challenges. Well, let's hope that he can he can get on with the job now and try and start to sort out the problems that people in Scotland need sorting out. Libby, thank you so much. Thank you, Heather. That was Libby Brooks. Her politics coverage throughout this campaign has been fantastic, of course, and I'd recommend going back and looking through some of her analysis. But that's not all she writes about. I recommend reading an article that she wrote earlier this week called Kilty Pleasures, Tartan's miraculous journey from humble Highland craft to global superbrand, which is worth it for the puns, the history, and the stunning main photo of the drag queen Cheddar Gorgeous in their tartan suit and matching pillbox hat. If you know somebody who deserves a bit of stardust in their lives, then we've got a competition for you. We're giving away 10 pairs of tickets to Glastonbury Festival. All you need to do is visit theguardian.com forward slash worthy hyphen winners to make your nominations. The competition closes on Saturday, April the 1st. Today's episode was produced by Lucy Hoff and Redzi Bernard. Sound design was by Rudy Zagadlo and the executive producer was Hummer Khalili. We'll be back tomorrow.
This is The Guardian. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records.